0: Welcome to the Preaching Podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. please Let's read Revelation 4, 1 through 11. Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. In sight, like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal, And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had a face as a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Thank you. You may be seated. As we said last time, we... Looked at this, we were in verses 1 and 2, and considering that a door was opened in heaven, and the voice as a trumpet saying, Come up hither, and of course we believe that is a reference or a likeness to the trumpet that will sound, First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, talk about that. When the trump shall sound, then we'll be called up to meet the Lord in the air. Now I say First Thessalonians 4, in the end of that chapter, is one of the key texts of Scripture in your Bible on what is called the rapture. You know that and are familiar with that. But for those who have odd teaching about the return of Christ or the second coming uh, or the Lord setting up His kingdom on this earth, there are those today who don't even believe in what would be called a rapture. So it's always good to say, so do you believe what 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches about meeting the Lord in the air? We're going to meet Him in the air, in the clouds. The Lord will return and establish a kingdom on this earth. But 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 make it very clear that the, those who belong to him will meet him in the air and will be changed, will be given a glorified body, and so again, there's a significant change in the Book of Revelation. We dealt with this last time. It lines up with the outline of Revelation 1:19, where he was to write the things which he had heard and the things which were and the things which were to come hereafter, and that is signified here in verse one when he says, "And I will show thee things which must be hereafter." Now, after this, uh, we're going to be dealing with a number of future events. Again, there are those who take this and say that the events that we're looking at are things that have already happened. They were future for John, but they are now history for us. Uh, I I can't go along with that. I'm just trying to be fair to say there are people that look at this differently. I would say this, the disposition of our heart, and this I'm preaching to this room, uh, the disposition of our heart will determine the doctrine that we're willing to accept. It's important you keep your heart right with God. If your heart is after the things of the world and my heart is after the things of the world, we're going to find doctrines that align with our heart. We'll search them out and we'll find them. So me say this, if your heart is filled with bitter, envying, and strife, as James 3 says, or mine, if our hearts are filled with those things, if your heart tonight is filled with covetousness, you'll find a doctrine that will align with that disposition of heart. Uh, and you say, is that, is that biblical? Well, study Proverbs chapter 1. One of the things we're going to point out tonight is that John's going to see some things that you and I have not seen. He's going to, they're revealed to him that we may read them on the page. What gave John such wisdom? You're going to find his heart toward Jesus Christ opened his mind to the wisdom of Christ. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." Proverbs nine ten: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is an attitude of heart. So the attitude of heart will determine the openness of mind that I have to God, and uh, be careful then. That's why the Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so we're going to see tonight, John's about to have revealed to him a number of things that are recorded and therefore revealed to us. But I would say this, if we're going to understand what's going to follow Revelation 4, we're going to have to get where John is at in this chapter, and that is with Christ on his throne. You're going to find a number of men in the Bible who got got some tremendous wisdom from God. Daniel would be one of them. Ezekiel would be one of them. Isaiah would be one of them. Joseph in the Old Testament, one of them. Even Joseph in the New Testament, one of them. And here we find John getting visions of things to come, their hearts and their minds being opened. Every one of them you will find with the same attitude of reverence or fear toward God. And so Revelation 4 is opening a door to heaven to see things to come. But if the door of our heart and the door of our mind is to be opened, we're going to have to have the same vision of God that John had in Revelation chapter 4 right here. So tonight our focus will be in verses 3, primarily verses 3 through 6. I'm going to go ahead and drafted an outline of the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter is all about the throne. We dealt with the scene in Revelation, uh, in the last message, the chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The scene that we find uh, explained here is that I saw a throne. And and then the rest of this chapter is describing, if you would, the throne. And so I'll give you three things out of this chapter, and we'll probably just deal with the first point tonight. The portrayal of the throne is found in verses 3 through 6. The participants around the throne are described in verses 4, 6, and 7. And then the proclamation that is taking place before the throne, verses 8 through 11. So there's a message being heralded around this throne, before this throne, and we'll, we'll emphasize that. But tonight our focus, again, will be primarily on verses 3 through 6. I don't see us getting further than that. So let's go ahead and read again. Uh, let's look at verses 3 through 6. The Bible says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow Round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. One of these mysterious descriptions, one of many you find in the book of Revelation. If you read the book of Daniel, read the book of Ezekiel, you're going to read about beasts. And in the book of Daniel, you're going to read about them representing different things. And so we'll say some things about these. Beast here, and the truth be told, some of these things are not, are not described or explained to us in full detail. And so we have to say, well, that's what it says. But let's begin back here in verses three through six, and tonight's point the portrayal of the throne. And I say portrayal because what's going to happen is you're going to have a number of prepositions that are used in describing the throne. He's going to talk about the one that's on the throne. We're going to talk about what's going on round about the throne, what's coming out of the throne, what's before the throne, and in the midst and round about the throne. So there's this, this picture uh, given to us in words of this throne that he's seeing. Now, because it is a word picture, we'd be wise to study what is said in this picture. And let's be reminded tonight, I think this is an emphasis that I'm sensing needs to be made tonight. We don't get our revelation of who God is and what his will is for our life from our feelings from our reasoning, from our emotions. Those things are all, they affect us. We cannot escape those things. God made us that way. So emotions are not bad and feelings are not bad, but they're not an authority. And so when we're gonna know who God is, we know him through his written word. This is how we know who he is. So if the Holy Spirit of God has described him this way, I mean, I'm gonna just get a hold of this. I, I was just reading behind some people I know and some things they're saying about, Uh, spirituality and serving God and um, just some folks have changed direction in life. We are all pressured on a constant basis to do so. So I'm not saying that from the standpoint of, well, I would never do that. With God's help, I'm not going to. But here's somebody that's changed some direction, and they're just talking about Jesus. And they were saying some things about how long ago they changed their belief about the Bible. They changed their belief About how we relate to the world and how we separate from the world and so forth, and how they didn't change doctrine. Now, they did change their belief about Scripture and whether or not we have a perfect Bible. I would call that doctrine, amen. Um, But we didn't change doctrine. We just are serving Jesus in a different way than we were raised. And so we have the same, you know, we have the same Jesus, but we're just trying to serve Him in a different way. Now, I would say if we, if we change our thinking about who he is uh, because we have disregarded his word, then it's not only are, are we trying to serve him a different way, I don't think it's the same Jesus. When we start redefining who the Lord Jesus is based on who we want him to be, and I will would say this. There are many who describe the Lord Jesus in that manner today. Uh, I've mentioned this and do mention it. Maybe mention it last time in Revelation a refusal to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus or the Lord. There is constantly just, I speak of Jesus on a first name basis. It's me and Jesus. And I'm not saying it's ever wrong. The Bible at times refers to Him simply in the first person. But when we come to the book of Revelation, we are giving our, we're given here, in, especially in chapter four, and throughout the portions of Revelation, we're given a picture, of the Lord Jesus Christ and it is not of Jesus the son of the carpenter it is not Jesus the babe in the manger it is oh I'm grateful for those images I'm grateful to know that he experienced humanity like us but the last vivid picture we're given of the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne on the white horse returning with a rod of iron and a sword coming out of his mouth I believe God knew, and I know he did in his foreknowledge and in his infinite wisdom that in these last days we're living in, when people are paralyzed spiritually by the lukewarm conditions we're in, we would need a firm and vivid reminder that Jesus is not your buddy and your pal that you take with you every place you go and affirms you and all you do because he loves you. Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of lords. How do we get that view of him, by the way? Believe what the Bible says. Young people, listen to me for a minute. You you guys need to get a hold of some things. You are being extremely pressured to take on a different view of Jesus Christ than the Bible gives you. Your culture that you're living in, the people you are going to know that identify themselves as Christians, by and large today are preaching a different Christ than this Bible puts forward. Uh, Christ has been effeminized by the culture. It's just the truth. Christ is not effeminate. (laughs) He is more of a man than any man in this room when it comes to masculinity and what a man ought to be. uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is not, He is not your benevolent friend who will always affirm you. He is the one who loves you enough to chasten and rebuke you. That's Bible. Bible. You say, why do we have to go over this again and again? Because every time you go out in that world and in this culture who loves to talk about a Jesus, there's often a Jesus that's been created by the hearts and minds of people who've rejected the one in the scriptures. And therefore, he's another one. When the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel said, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner. You say, what does all have to do with Revelation 4? The Apostle John, the Holy Spirit of God, through the pen of the Apostle John, is painting a picture of who the Lord is right now. That he's on his throne. He's high and lifted up. And we have this picture, and it's a, it's a foreboding picture. As I read Revelation 4, there's a heaviness here. And I believe the spirit of this matter is to bring a, a level of, of fear and trembling upon us that needs to be there. It's called the fear of God. It's, it's Listen. If your concept of the Lord Jesus is that there's nothing, this is what's being taught and preached by so many in our culture today, is there's nothing you can do to get him displeased or disappointed with you. I mean, that sounds like your grandma, not the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a different picture. We're being introduced here to a throne. You know what happens on a throne? Judgment. The Bible says, calls the Lord, Paul called to Timothy, the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He's the righteous judge. And he's going to render to every man according to his works. You and I can choose to live our lives however we please, however we choose. Realize God endowed us with the ability to choose. And yet he did not endow us the ability to choose our course and change its final destination. <laughs> You and I can choose the course we travel. We can choose the decisions we make. But ultimately, when our life is done, we will answer to the Lord. The unbeliever will answer at the great white throne and be judged by his works and according to his works. And the believer will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Our works will be judged, whether good or bad. But the, f- the point would be is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 That in the end, when it's all said and done, that everything we do is going to be brought to the judgment. And that's where we are here in Revelation 4. As soon as John leaves the scene of earth and he's caught up into heaven, the first thing he sees is this throne. Everything else that comes in the book of Revelation is going to flow from the understanding that the Lord is on his throne. And that is where he is at in heaven, the Lord Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. I find it interesting, on this throne there's only one. Someone says, is it God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes, it's the Lord. It's the Lord Jehovah on this throne. And so let's consider that tonight. Verse 3 says, He that was sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, There was a rainbow round about the throne and the sight like an an emerald. So the portrayal of the throne, we first have to start on the throne. Mentioned this two weeks ago when we were here, but it says he was like a jasper and a sardine stone. And, of course, there is a reference back to the earthly priesthood in Exodus chapter 28. I referenced it last time. I want to go ahead and read it tonight. Maybe I read it last time. Exodus 28, verses 17 through 20. Uh, The breastplate is being, let me just go back to verse 15 of Exodus chapter twenty-eight, and if you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can just follow and listen along as I read. But Exodus twenty-eight, verse fifteen: "Speaking of the breastplate made for the high priest, and thou shalt uh, make the breastplate of judgment. It's a breastplate of what? Judgment. So we're on the throne. We're dealing with the judge. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod. Thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen." Shalt thou make it? May I say, we could we could preach, I think, just entirely from here now. How many of you remember the tabernacle? How many of you remember what the gate of the tabernacle was built out of? Purple, scarlet and fine twine linen, the same, the same pattern that you find here. How many know what the veil of the temple was made out of? Purple, scarlet, fine twine, all these same colors that represent the divinity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, his sinless perfection, his royalty, all those things are typified in what this is made out of. So was this ephod made out of the same materials. Gold, blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen, thou shalt make it. Four square it shall be being doubled. Four square, just like the brazen altar four square speaks of just and equal judgment. As it, for the four has to do with, with, with being just and equal in judgment. Remember, this is a, a breastplate of judgment. Okay, so it's going to be four square Uh, and it shall be uh, being doubled, a span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof, and thou shalt set it in settings of stones. Even four rows of stones, the first row shall be a stardius, that's a sardin stone, a topaz and a carbuncle, this shall be the first row, and the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond, and the third row a ligure and an uh, an agate and an amethyst, the fourth row a beryl and an onyx and a... Jasper, they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names like the engravings of a signet. Everyone with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. So here you have the high priest wearing this square breastplate of judgment, those stones representing the twelve tribes he was judging on behalf of God with the 12 tribes, uh, the colors representative of, of royalty and of purity, and all those things are so symbolic. And yet, we have here in Revelation chapter 4 that this one sitting on the throne was like a sardine stone and a jasper, taking our minds back to this issue and this everything in this scene is about judgment. Judgment. By the way, what, what is judgment? We have a lot of confusion about that today. Judgment is a final determination of truth and right. Judgment is to take facts, weigh those facts and come to a firm conclusion. A judge then renders a verdict based on that conclusion. You and I are never to render verdicts as far as this is but you and all you and I must make judgments. But the judge is judging here and he's he is the, the sardine stone and the jasper remind us then who this one is sitting on the throne. He is the one that, yes, oh, there's so much enclosed in this, so much involved in this. He is, it, it deals with the humanity that God became a man. He became a mediator between God and men. You understand this, that the priest wore those, those stones where? Over his heart. Uh, so there are cold-hearted judges. The Lord Jesus spoke of an unjust judge who would only help a widow because she wouldn't leave him alone. But our God and his judgment is just and true, yet full of mercy. And so it brings us back to that breastplate that as the priest, the high priest, rendered judgment over the 12 tribes of Israel, he was to do so out of his love for them. Remember what Jesus said, the last thing in Revelation chapter 3, as many as I love, I chasten and rebuke. You know what that is? It is judgment. Tell me tonight, what's the number one thing this wretched world and every carnal, so-called Christian says today today That judgment is a sign that someone doesn't love. In the book called The Shack, non-recommended reading, it is stated in that book that God does not judge. I've asked men in our services in the jail, just curious what their thinking would be not to judge them, but just curious. Do you think that God judges? You'd be surprised how many times the answer is no. Immediately, swiftly, no, because God is love. You understand, love requires judgment. While we're on this theme, just bear with me for a minute. I'm going to pull off on this, and then we'll come back. Okay, Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, I understand that the context of judgment in Philippians 2 is different, but I want us to see that there is a connection between love and judgment, even in us as Christians in making faithful and true judgments. Here's what happens. The only, way, the only way for us to, how shall I say this? One of the ways we can mar love is to say love never makes a judgment about right or wrong. We hear that so much today, but the Bible says quite the opposite. And we need to get a hold of this, that what's being preached to us today by the lost world and by those who are listening to the lost world yet are saved is that judgment and love are, are incompatible. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, I believe it. Philippians 1, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, here's the context of our judgment, verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense, Till the day of Christ. You realize love requires judgment. For us, it means there are certain things I can't approve of because I love God. And there are certain things I cannot approve in my life because I love you. Uh, my children and I were talking about some of these things this morning. And the liberty that we have, it was in our, in our devotion, the concept of liberty came up again of the 119th Psalm. And how that when we seek God's precepts, we can walk in liberty. But here's what happens. If you love, there are restrictions that must be in place. If I love you, there are certain things I'll never allow myself to do because I don't want to hurt you. Philippians 1 in the context of we don't want to offend someone from trusting God's word. And so my point here is the breastplate and this reference to the Sardin stone and this jasper takes us back to that breastplate on the high priest reminding us that God is not without the knowledge of the human experience, number one, God became man and became our high priest in the person of Jesus Christ, and he bears the love of his own nation over his own heart, but as judge, those stones were over the heart of the priest representing, I will judge in love and in justice and righteousness. Mercy and truth, the Bible says, have kissed one another in the person of Jesus Christ. He is full of grace and the truth. And so we must once and for all remove from our minds, if we're going to be a true people, that love and judgment are incompatible. God is love, and yet God is judge. What kind of a love would he have if he said everything's okay? How many of you know parents that never discipline their children? You tell me they love their kids. The Bible says they hate them. You know why? Because discipline is too difficult, and so I'm going to let you ruin your life so I can be comfortable. And so our God is not like that. And so this comes back to this sardine stone and this jasper referring to that breastplate of judgment and yet it was worn over the heart of the priest. So God is just, but he's not without a heart. He's not a cold-hearted, indifferent, mean God sitting in heaven waiting to destroy. No, he is someone who in his judgment is going to render judgment out of, a, out of, out of his loyalty to the truth because he's God, he cannot lie and yet he'll be faithful to truth because he loves. Amen? Uh, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, very quickly, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one on this throne. Remember, he, the high priest bore the sardin stone and the jasper on his chest, and that, it, it's the first and the last stone, and so we would understand it represents all the ones in between. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest, the one with those stones over his chest, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the lord hath pitched and not man i just want to reference the fact that this he was like unto a jasper and a sardine stone uh, reminds us that god became man that he might be the great high priest not after the levitical priesthood but after melchizedek and yet it reminds us of those stones and that god in his righteous judgment will render justice but not without a heart filled with genuine love for us. May I say this, when we get to Revelation 4, the one sitting on the throne has nail scars in his hands and he has nail prints in his feet and a scar in his wounded side that speak of his great love for us. And yet he will sit as judge on his throne. Amen? And so may I say this, if the concept you hold of love tonight has been divorced from a concept of justice and judgment and accountability you have, a, you have a different God you're entertaining in your mind. God is love and God is judgment all at the same time. We see that in the sardine stone and the jasper. Letter B. So we see the one on the throne, right here the only description is he was upon, upon, upon the throne, was like a jasper and a sardine stone. Then the Bible says and there was a rainbow. So now we're going from on the throne to round about the throne. It says, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now, how many of you have ever seen a one-colored rainbow? I haven't. The best I can do with it being emerald is dealing with heaven and its judgment on earth. <laughs> the, the, the rainbow round about the throne is it's an all-encompassing judgment, all right, of certainly a rainbow. This rainbow is not... It's not the kind we see where you see just the bow, it's the full circle. I understand you get high enough and you fly above a rainbow, you'll see the whole thing. It is an actual circle. It's an entire uh, rainbow. My grandmother, uh, Grandma Mary, told about one time seeing that, she flew to Germany. And so you can see the entire thing. And here, you're in heaven, you can see the rainbow all around the throne. All I can understand, the best I'll do with it, is that the green perhaps represents God preparing to judge earth. We're not... The heavens are blue, the earth is green, if you would, and uh, that's the best thing to do other than that. The Bible says it's like under an emerald. We have a number of references to precious stones here. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting we sell precious stones uh, for high amounts of money in heaven, they just represent things it's it's a very what is valuable on earth is a very little value other than for Analogy and representation in heaven. Streets are paved with gold and you make your gates out of pearls in heaven, right? Uh, We wouldn't do that here. The common things there are what we count valuable here. And so there's always that lesson to be seen. But we find this rainbow. and Here's what's interesting. There's only two other references in the Bible to a rainbow three total, as far as I know. The first one is Genesis chapter 9, verse 13. You are very familiar with this rainbow. That is the bow that God put in the cloud after the flood. And what was, what was the context of the first rainbow? Correct. And so we're dealing once again with the subject of judgment. Here we are again. We're dealing with judgment again. So God, after having judged the earth with a flood promised I will never destroy it with a flood again. And here's the token of my covenant that I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again. We're reminded of that here when we see a rainbow round about the throne, that God has not forgotten his promises. As a judge, he's a faithful judge. God is about to do some tremendous judgment on earth. Guess what it's not going to be done with? Not with water. It will not. It will be with fire. God will destroy this earth, he'll do it with fire, and yet not fully destroy it. Yet he's going to, not until after Christ has reigned a thousand years. As a judge, he is always faithful to his own word. He keeps he keeps before him the promise. I promise not to destroy the earth with the flood, and the rainbow is the token of that promise, the flood of waters, and I will not. And by the way, he will not. <laughs> there are those that say, oh, you know, the you know, we got global warming, the Earth's going to be flooded. No, it won't (laughs) because God promised. And so God reminds himself of his own word. Amen. Uh, If we remind God of his word, it's not because he's forgetful, but because we are. The only other reference to a rainbow is in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Ezekiel sees a similar vision to this one when he sees the throne of God and around about the throne is a rainbow. Let's turn there and read that. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. One of the things I love about the book of Revelation is when you come to Revelation, a lot of it's not going to make sense unless you've read all the books in front of it. (laughs) There are so many references to the rest of the Bible in the book of Revelation. I don't think you can understand Revelation without having a grasp on the other 65 books that are written in front of it. If you want to understand Revelation, get a good grip on the book of Genesis and uh, I feel like I am a, a kindergarten when it comes to this matter of what's written in the book of Revelation and some of these things that are written. Nonetheless, you're going to read a lot of things in the book of Revelation. This is why we understand it to be the, the finality of God's written revelation because it encompasses everything from all the other books, plugs it into what we're reading here, including here in, in, in the reference to the rainbow at the throne. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26, And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. As the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had a brightness round about, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And When I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. How many have ever played a game with somebody that you had never played before? They explain to you the rules, and they play by the rules they explained to you until they start losing. Now, maybe we've been one of those people. I, I don't know. How many like to play with someone that's like that? How many have ever watched a referee referee some kind of an athletic event And by the time it's done, you can tell which team he likes best. Now, that's not normal, but it does happen. Because what happens is they don't hold themselves to the rules of the game. I remember we had a judge in Roan County, Tennessee. And most everyone knew the man was crooked, but he finally got caught. He had been dealing drugs for years, years and years. He finally got caught. He was crooked as a dog's hind leg. They sent him off to prison. I'll guarantee you, he did not hold himself to the rules that he was supposed to be governed by. But God, every time the rainbow is mentioned, it's in the context of judgment. The first time it was a promise, I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel is dealing with one whose appearance is like fire. We're talking about judgment. If you read the book of Ezekiel, God is pronouncing judgment. But guess what's before him always in judgment? That which reminds him of his own word. I'll judge, but I will judge according to my own word. I will not violate my own rules, if you would. I will be a God of my word. God, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, The Lord is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. The number one characteristic you and I want in a judge is justice and equity. God won't change his word, number one, for his own feelings or for our feelings. God's going to hold to his own word. He cannot lie, as Titus 1-2 says. So the rainbow around the throne reminds us of the justice and the faithfulness of God. And so uh, we see that, and it's, of course, like unto an emerald. And again, I think that reminds us he's going to judge the earth, but he's going to do it in accordance with his own promises. And then we find round about the throne, there's not only a rainbow round about the throne, but the Bible says there's four and twenty elders uh, it says, verse four. Around about the throne were four and twenty elders. And well, uh, four and twenty seats. We'll say more about this in a few moments. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, again, sticking with the theme of judgment, we can say more about who these four and twenty elders are. Many say, well, it's it's the twelve apostles, and it's uh, twelve heads of the tribes of Israel. That may be so. That would make sense. The the Lord Jesus promised that the 12 apostles would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he said the 12 apostles would actually be the ones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That still leaves us only with 12. So I'm not sure exactly who these 4 and 20 elders are because the Bible doesn't spell it out. I do know exactly how many there are. There's 4 and 20. Uh, I didn't know this until reading up on it today. Some suggest these are angels it couldn't be angels. These are 4 and 20 elders, meaning there are people that are proven in the faith. They've been around longer than the rest of us. They have been proven for a, an example uh, to the rest of us, as First as Peter 5 articulates in elders supposed to be an example to the flock. But What I find the 4 and 20 elders that needs to be pointed out in this point right now is what do you find them clothed in? They're sitting on, on thrones around the throne, but they are in white raiment with what upon their head? Now, now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. We're finding again in the 4 and 20 elders. You know what elder people in the faith do? They demonstrate a faithful God. The, the lives of faithful people point to a faithful God on the throne. The lives of faith, You know what faithful people are? They are people that have trusted God's promises. I was listening to a little story with Brooklyn today. Her and I were plowing snow together. I needed somebody to come sit with me. So she sipped hot chocolate while I sipped coffee. And we listened to, the rest of my kids are going to groan, Bible stories for kids, right? She loved it. When we're listening to the story of Jericho, well, there's a good lesson that they point out, of course, in that story. And is that, how, that is how Rahab, in the face of tremendous danger, simply trusted God. Hebrews 11 is full of people that we would call faithful. You know why they're called faithful? God was able to demonstrate His faithfulness through their trust in His promises. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Uh, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of... Of life, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Paul said that he would get a crown for having finished his course, kept the faith, and, and, all, and so forth. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, what you find is 4 and 20 men sitting around the throne with crowns on their head, which was God keeping it. You know what they were? We know, we know about them. They were overcomers. These are men who endured temptation and won a crown for faithfulness. You know why? Because the Lord promised, if you endure temptation, I will give you a crown. If you're faithful unto death, I will give you a crown. See what you find around the throne? 24 men with crowns. And that reminds me of, that tells me and you trust God's promises. The judge on the throne keeps the promises concerning his own conduct I will judge the earth, but I'll never destroy it again with the flood, and He will not. He is a God who keeps His word. When you and I come to a promise in the Bible and you know it is applicable to you, that it is a promise that is for you to claim, then you and I need not question God. We need to act upon those promises because God is faithful to His word, and the, the crowns of gold and the white raiment speak to us of the faithfulness of God. Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, verse 5, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So here on the throne... The one on the throne is surrounded, yes, by a rainbow that is like emerald, speaking of the judgment that's coming on earth, and God in judgment will be faithful to his own word, but he's also surrounded by those who have lived by faith in his word, and we see that symbolized and portrayed in the crowns on their head, and the white raiment they are clothed in. God is faithful to his word. The overcomers will be clothed in white, and they will be crowned, and you find 24 of them elders sitting around the throne." Letter C. So we've seen on the throne, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, like a sardine stone and a jasper, round about the throne, the rainbow and the to- four and twenty elders. Out of the throne, verse 5, the Bible says, uh, and out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices. And then we'll get to before the throne in just a moment. So out of the throne, lightnings and thunderings and voices. How many of you know the effect of a strong and powerful thunderstorm? upon you. That's <laughs> a pretty scary thing. I'll never forget when I was about I must've been 9, 10, 11 somewhere in that range. Thunderstorms back east, they pop up out of nowhere and they come on a regular basis. You can have a beautiful sunny day and within 30 minutes boom, you got a you got a thunderhead coming in. So remember we'd been at church. We lived on uh, the hill above the church in a parsonage and so it was raining really hard. Well, I'm the little kid, and I don't mind getting wet, so I'm running home. My dad went and grabbed the church van to come bring my sister and my mom home so they didn't have to walk through the rain. So they had just passed me. I'm walking up the driveway. They just passed me in the van and parked in the driveway. I'm at the bottom of the hill. Now they're at the top. They no sooner went in the house and shut the door when lightning struck a big red oak tree in our front yard. I mean, it is, it's storming, and I don't think any of us realize how bad the storm was, and that lightning hit that tree, deflected off the tree, went over and hit the transformer that was on a, on a pole next to the gymnasium. That thing exploded, sparks flew everywhere. Boy, you talk about getting your attention. Lightnings and thunderings, and I promise you there were voices. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Not only the voices here, we do know that what some of the voices are saying. Holy, holy, holy. You know what God would have us do? I believe this gives us a tremendous picture of what the fear of God is. How many of you say, I hate thunderstorms? Some of you may. I don't. I actually, I can enjoy them if I am in a safe location. I used to work on a golf course. When it started thunderstorming, man, you went for cover because there are a lot of wide open spaces and you're the tallest object out there, so you find cover. But if I've got cover, I've told you this story, I think, before I remember one day being out in the woods, roaming behind my house. I'm 11 or 12 and a big thunderhead comes up and I knew there was a cave Back there was more like a glorified ledge, right? But I knew where it was, and I was really close to it. Boy, it starts raining and thundering and lightning. I'm in the middle of the woods, and I crawled up under that ledge, and I sat there dry as a bone and having a good old time enjoying that storm. I wasn't scared. I really wasn't. as a kid, but I wasn't afraid. I knew I was safe. And you want, the fear of God is like the reverence we have for lightning or thunder. It has value, but you better not be on the wrong side of it. And around the throne, there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's voices. And I'm sure some of those voices, as we'll find in Revelation 4, are speaking in reverence and worship. And yet one day before the throne, I believe there's going to be voices of weeping and wailing when they stand before the throne and they realize we have opposed Almighty God. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we find... Out of the throne of thunders, lightnings, and voices. This gives us a picture of the mighty power of God who sits on the throne. Letter D, before the throne, the end of verse 5, the first part of verse 6, says, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We've referenced this already and dealt with it early in the book, uh, earlier on the first chapter there, second chapter. The seven spirits of God. This, of course, again, does not mean that there are seven Holy Spirits, but the sevenfold, if you would, Holy Spirit of God. If I asked you how many fruits of the Spirit are, are you are there, what would you tell me? The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, love. I think it's a ninefold fruit, right? So the seven Spirits of God, the seven has, has the idea of completion or perfection. It's the idea of Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. There's not a period of time that the Spirit of God does not see. Uh, the, the seven spirits of God are referred to as the eyes of God in another part of Revelation there, the eyes of God. The Bible says his eyes run to and fro uh, throughout the earth, searching for those whose heart is perfect toward him. These seven flames, remember what the eyes of Jesus were like? Flames of fire, meaning they burned through, uh, they burn through the deception, they burned through the things that, we, the facades we put up. I was out uh, hunting with Colton on Thanksgiving morning. There was a, a heavy fog on We could see the sun starting to come up. I said, I bet you in 30, 40 minutes this fog will be gone. That sun's going to burn it off. And sure enough, it did. It burned it off, then the fog came back, the sun burned it off. The point is, that sun removes the fog, even as the eyes of God see through the things that we try to conceal. Man tries to conceal himself from God, but it cannot be done. The Spirit of God is in every age of time. I can't help but believe that the seven spirits have to do with the activity of the Holy Spirit in every age of humanity. He was working at creation. He was working after creation. He was at work during the flood. He was at work after the flood. He was at work in the time of Moses. He was at work when Jesus walked on this earth. Uh, we see him manifest in the form of a dove. He was at work and poured out with power represented by cloven tongues of Fire on the day of Pentecost, and so you find that the Spirit of God is the person of the Godhead who searches man. Remember, He, he searches our hearts, Romans 8 says, uh, so, that, and He intercedes on our behalf, and He intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This fire has to do with the, the omniscience of God. Again, you know what we're dealing with? Judgment. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There's no evil person who's thought by man to be good that will get by with God. There's no good person in the sight of God who men accuse of being evil that will not be aptly dealt with and vindicated by God. God's eyes know the truth. How often is it difficult for you and I to get to the truth? During COVID, it's one of the most difficult things to try and to figure out who in the world's telling the truth. That's why our decisions were so hard, especially at the onset. You had the distinct sense we are being lied to, but you couldn't prove it. And then you find somebody is telling you the truth and you distrust them. Man has a hard time getting the truth. Not God. God's eyes are in every place. If judgment is going to be rendered, one of the things God, and I need to hush, but because I'm out of time. One of the things the Lord's had to really deal with me about as a human being is rendering judgment too swiftly. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, is falling in shame on him. How many times we make a judgment based on a first impression only to find out, I did not have all the facts. I thought I knew, only to find out I didn't. How many times we have all the facts and they're not what we want them to be. And we refuse to make a judgment even though all the facts are in. (laughs) We have a problem with this, but not God. If we're going to make good judgment, you have to have all the facts. You need to know everything, right? Well, there's the seven spirits of God, these seven flames of fire. Speaking of the perfect sight and knowledge of God, that's before the throne, and then the Bible says in the midst, and in verse 6 as well, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. I can't help but think the sea of glass, you know what that is? a see-through, <laughs> transparent. Are we not dealing with the same subject all the way through? That there's nothing hidden from God? That even the sea is transparent, see right through it? The sea of glass, a dividing line between heaven and earth, but not one that conceals what man really is from God. And God, to God, all things are transparent. You listen, God sees, he does, he sees right through us. It's very important then to live for what the Lord sees. There's a twofold application to this. Number one, don't be a shyster on the side and make men think we're good. God sees it. But You know what is the other side of that? Sometimes you do good and men think you're evil. They'll falsely accuse you. Don't let that discourage you. So well, I'm trying to do what's right, and so-and-so thought I was doing this. That doesn't matter. The eyes of the Lord see that. We live for what God sees. And so a uh, sea of glass before the throne, transparent and see-through. And then finally, in the midst of the throne, verse 6, it says, and before the throne there was a sea uh, of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, it's all at the same time, were four beasts full of eyes, before and behind. We have two artists in this room, Riley and Casey. I want you to draw these beasts for me, would you please? Four beasts with eyes. They're full of eyes. Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. It gives me the creeps. They're full of eyes before and behind. You know, what? We're, you, we're still dealing with the same thing. You ever heard somebody say, so-and-so's got eyes in the back of their head? These beasts do. <laughs> Meaning, you know what? They see everything. I, I believe the theme should be abundantly clear to us by now. God sees it all, and he's going to deal with what he sees, not with what man sees. We're not going to change what God sees. God sees clearly. You know what? One of the the greatest blessings you'll ever find as a Christian is to learn to pray according to what you know God knows about you already. You go to God in prayer knowing he knows it all, and you go ahead and start addressing that with him, and he can help you. When we try to deal with God like we deal with each other, let me put my best foot forward. Let me present to you the person that I know you will like. That does not work with God. He knows everything about us. So we might as well approach him that way. And when you get there, you, then you say, oh, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that's what gives me access to that throne. Amen? Here's John with the picture of the throne. It's a throne of judgment, these four beasts. We'll say more about the four beasts and the twenty elders in the messages to come. But tonight, the portrayal of the throne, the one on the throne what's going on round about the throne, what's coming out of the throne, what's before the throne in the midst and round about these four beasts full of eyes. And of course, they're going about saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so again, grateful for the book of Revelation. I would say this in closing, this picture of of the Lord high and lifted up in judgment and power and yet in mercy on his throne is key having this attitude toward God. We've got to leave Revelation 4 saying from our heart, Thou art worthy, O Lord, receive glory and honor and power. If we're going to have the key to understanding more that's in the book. The key to understanding is the disposition of the heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. I mean, that's the portrayal of the throne, verses 3 through 6. All right, let's, let's pray. We'll close tonight. Thank you.